our mission. We're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want unbelievers to come know Jesus as our Lord and Savior and for believers to live their life for King Jesus. We're going to continue in our series. We've been calling this series, How God Makes Bad Men Good, the Book of Romans. And so if you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We're going to be verses 15 through 23 this morning. And I'm calling this sermon, Whose Slave Are You? Today, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite subject. We're going to be talking about sin. Man, that was a rounding applause there. Everyone really excited to talk about sin. The word sin in the Greek is amarta. Okay? Amarta, sin, it's actually an archery term. It means to miss the mark. And so what the word means to miss the mark is that every single one of us, we've taken our bow, we've taken our arrow, we've all drawn it back, and we've all let our arrow fly. And we've all missed most of us have missed miserably. And the target that we were aiming for was the moral perfection of God. People ask, the question is, well, how do we get to heaven? That's easy. Be as good as God. And we've all taken our shot at it, and we've all missed. Meaning, none of us measure up. Paul says, no, not one. But God loves us. He really does. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus, on this rescue mission to come and live the life that we cannot live and then die the death that we all deserve to die. Do you know the death that Jesus died that should have been you? It should have been me. It should have been us on that cross for our sins because Jesus is sinless. And yet he went to the cross and died a sinner's death. He was buried in a tomb. He was there for three days. And then he rose again from the, from the grave defeating sin and death. And the Bible teaches that if you place faith in that and that alone, you are saved. Read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. The word of God says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing, it's a gift of God. That might be one of the most important verses in our New Testament. It's definitely one of the clearest examples of how someone gets saved. Okay? The, in Christianity, we words like decision. We'll say things like, you need to make a decision for Christ. But with words like decision, it kind of carries the idea that you can just take it or leave it. Which is true, you can take it or leave it. But it kind of makes the person think, well, it's no big deal. It doesn't really matter which way I choose to go. But a word like saved, it carries the idea of danger. That there is danger if we don't make the right decision. Well, what, is the da- what are we in danger from? The answer is the impending wrath of God. People say stuff like, I want justice. Let me tell you, I don't want justice. I don't want justice. I don't want what I deserve. What I want is grace. I want grace. I want unmerited favor. That's what I want. And when I place saving faith in Jesus Christ, God gives me his grace as a gift. Meaning I don't earn it. He gives it to me. It's from him. And the entire book of Romans is about the imputed righteousness of Christ. Or how God makes bad men good. So when the the righteousness of Christ, it's been imputed to you, you're saved. But you're not done. We're not done. It's not over yet. Meaning you are going to heaven should you die if you've been saved. But then starts this process of God changing your heart. And God changing your desires and and your wants to line up with his wants, his heart, his desires. And this is a process we call sanctification. 
Okay? This process is not over until the day you die. I was just listening to another preacher this week, and I wish I came up with this. This is not my original. But the preacher said that, that sanctification is a slow-motion miracle. Think about that. Sanctification is a slow-motion miracle where over the course of our lifetime, God molds us and changes us into, into to think and act the way he would want, and less like the way we would want. And this is a lifelong battle with sin, and it's not going to be over until the day you die. And so we fight. The problem is we get tired, Right? We get tired, and we don't really understand the magnitude of this enemy, and we really don't understand a lot of times what we're really fighting for. The first half of Romans chapter 6, Paul is answering a question. And the question was, in the beginning of this chapter, basically was, if you're a Christian, and Christ has entered your life, and you've been joined with him by faith in his work, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've been baptized into his death and, and been part of his resurrection, can you continue living like you used to? That was the question Paul asked. Can you continue in a lifestyle of sin just as though nothing, nothing really happened to you other now you're going to heaven should you die? And Paul's answer to that question was no, absolutely not. You can't do that. And if that is how you choose to live your life, that is proof you've never really participated in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Meaning you're not saved. You're not really a Christian. Anyone that continues in an unchanged life after having professed Jesus as their Savior really is just given an empty confession. And, and Jesus never really changed their heart at all. That's what he's saying. An individual that thinks like this is really in the, the class of people that Jesus addressed directly in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said one day, not everyone who, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. That's terrifying. The Apostle Paul is saying something that's very important for us to understand. Paul just finished saying in verse 14, he said, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. In verse 15, he raises the question, but he's going to change it just a little. Read with me in Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Paul asks, What then? Are we to continue, in, continue to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Here's my first point this morning. Point number one. There is no such thing as cheap grace. Here is the question. He asked, can we sin? That's what he asked back in verse number one of Romans chapter six. Can we, going on, live a neck deep in sin, live in a lifestyle of sin? Paul's answer is No. Absolutely not. You can't do that. If, if there has really been a change in your life, if Christ has entered your heart, there is no way that you can just go on living absolutely unchanged and justifying a sinful lifestyle. But now we come to verse 15, and Paul changes the question just a little. There's a slight change from, from verse 1 to verse 15, the question that's being asked, because the question is not here, can we? But the question is, are we? Can you see where Paul asked that question in verse 15? Are we to sin? 
Paul is changing the question just a, just a scotch, if you will. And it becomes not whether a Christian ought or can sin, but whether should a Christian choose to sin? Should a Christian choose to sin, just enjoy this momentary thrill that comes with sin, with the, with the pleasure that sin gives you? Because after all, sin is fun. Max Licato said this, he said, quote, Sin is not an irregrettable lapse or an occasional stumble. Sin, sin stages a coup against God's regime. Sin storms the castle, lays claim to God's throne, and defines his authority. Sin shouts, I want to run my own life. Thank you very much. Sin tells God, get out, get lost, and don't come back. That is the situation every single believer has to battle with from time to time because, again, sin is fun. There, there are times that, that we are confronted with this feeling, no, why not? Why not give in? Because after all, I'm not going to hell, right? My salvation is in Christ, and it's not in me. And, and actually, God's not going to reject me. This is the way we think. God's not going to reject me if I choose to do this because the law does not condemn me anymore. I'm not under the law. It's love that disciplines me, and law does not condemn me, and I'm forgiven. I'm restored, so why not just give in? Why not just go after this little momentary sin? In case you're wondering what I'm talking about, I want to be very specific here. Maybe for guys, you know, you're driving down the road, and you see a member of the opposite sex jogging at you, wearing next to nothing. And then there's a wrestle in our mind. Should I get a good look, or should I turn the car and go in a different direction? And maybe for the ladies, that's not the way you, you, you really struggle. Maybe for you, it's something else. Maybe, should I tell this bit of juicy gossip? Should I go gossip about this person and get, get that rush of adrenaline? Or should I do the Christ-like thing and not gossip? I think we all know the answer to those two questions, right? We know what the right answer is. But often we choose to sin. Please note that I picked those two sins because often we consider them lesser sins. God doesn't think like that. We think like that. But I'm trying to keep this from getting an R rating because there could be young ears here. But really, we, we have potential to sin that's not limited to, to these class. Christians are capable of kidding, committing the most horrific sins imaginable. But often, you know, we do, especially as Baptists, we think, well, I don't struggle in, with sexual sin, and since I don't struggle with sexual sin, I'm a mature Christian. And with, that sin, with the next breath, Baptists will commit the sin of gossip and slander and hatred and backbiting, etc., etc., etc. It should not be that way. Just because we don't participate in this sin doesn't excuse some other sin that's in our lives. The question we ask is, why not? Why not just give in? Because I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace. Can you see where Paul's question is going in this, in this, in this line of thinking? This is a very, very practical way to live. Paul is never the guy to ask a question and then not give us an answer. That's not how Paul operates. In the verses that follow, Paul answers the question, are we to sin? His answer is by no means. If you are a Christian, can you go on deliberately sinning? Maybe only if on occasion, can you do this? Paul's answer is this. If you choose to do that, you're going to pay the Pied Piper. 
Meaning, it's going to affect you. Oh, we think, oh, sin's no big deal. I'm just going to do this, and then I'll just go back to living my Christian life the next minute. Paul's saying, no, sin hurts you. But here's another fact of life I want you to know. Not only does it hurt you, but it hurts others. Because if you have one person in your life that loves you, just one person anywhere in your life, you have one person that loves you, then you hurt that person too. You see, we can't do anything and it not affect those who love us. So we must face the full results of what happens when you, when I, when we choose as believers to do what we know is wrong, even though we've been set free in Christ. In the following verses, Paul wants us to know three things. There are three effects of sin. There are no little sins. They're all damaging sin. And we like to categorize them as, as believers. Oh, this one's not so bad, and this one's a little worse. Though, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, some sin does hurt you more. But here's the point. They're all damaging. And we, we don't see it like that, do we? We don't see it like that. And that's why we do these other sins. And what happens is we continue in these sins because the damaging effect is not seen right away. Paul wants us to know that when you choose to sin, sin makes you a slave. Read in verse 16. The word of God says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, having become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking of human turns because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Here's my second point for us this morning. Point number two, sin makes you a slave. Paul is pointing to a very common class of individuals during his day and age to paint this picture for us for what humanity is like that chooses to live by sin. And Paul uses the phrase slave. He uses that to describe us. In other words, he's dealing with a very profound psychological fact, and it is this. Human beings were made to be mastered. Somebody or something is going to master you. The question is, who masters you? Many years ago, there was a man by the name of John Newton. At the age of 11, John Newton left school and became a sailor on one of his father's ships. 11, probably a little young to be becoming a sailor, so he's around sailors 24-7, and very quickly, John's life was marked by sin and debauchery and rebellion. And John served on several different ships um, off the coast of West Africa and became involved in the slave trade. John Newton was, was capturing and porting human cargo with the intent of selling human beings as slaves. Needless to say, the capturing and selling, transporting black humans for slaves from the West Andes and Americas, it's a very cruel and vicious way of life. 
Well, events transpired that caused John Newton to lose all of his fortune. Eventually, he had to sell himself into slavery to get himself out of debt. So the slave trader became the slave himself. It was on March 10th, 1748, while returning to England from Africa during a particularly stormy voyage, when it appeared all that would be lost, he began to read a a book on Christianity. Really, he was trying to disprove Christianity, but what happened is he got saved in the process. He was eventually rescued out of the slave trade and became one of the biggest proponents for the abolishment of slavery. Up until the time of his death at the age of 82, John never stopped marveling at God's grace and mercy that so drastically changed his life. And John Newton went on to become the great hymn writer of the song we just finished singing, Amazing Grace. It says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself as you sit there. Who controls the choices you make? Who? Because the born-again believer that's received the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, that fact, if that's you, that should control your life. So again, who's controlling you? Is it you? Is Is it sin or is it grace? If it's sin, then you are living as a slave to sin. Paul speaks of two types of slavery in these verses. He he says that we Christians have been set free from the slavery to sin. Because before salvation, we had to sin. We had no choice. Before we came to Christ, we just did what our slave master, sin, told us to do. And it didn't matter if we chose what we thought was good or if we chose what we thought was, was wrong. It ended up leading to evil. There was no other way for us prior to Christ. Even when we did the right things prior, it was really tainted with evil because there was selfish intent behind what we chose. So before Jesus, we sinned because we had no alternative but to sin. The question is, now what happens to a believer when a believer sins? That's a good question, right? Because we're free. We're free, and yet we do, what we do is we choose to go back and do something that was wrong. We choose to do that was harmful. We choose that what is shameful. We're confronted with the temptation, just give in. Give in just for a moment and indulge ourselves with this sin that we want to do. But what we do is we kid ourselves. We say, oh, it's not a big deal. I can quit this anytime I want. It's not going to hurt me. And so what we do is we choose to harm ourselves. This is the principle that Paul wants us to know. If you give yourself to sin, you become a slave to sin. Listen to what Jesus said about this in John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The question we need to ask is, what did Jesus mean when he said practice? Well, a slave is someone who is ultimately not in control of their own actions, right? A slave is someone who's at the disposal of somebody else. A slave is someone that has to do what the other person tells them to do. So when, like when we tell a lie, we tell a lie and then we have to tell another lie to cover up the lie we've just told. And then we have to tell a second, uh, another lie to cover up that lie. And then we have to tell another lie to cover up our three previous lies. Can you see how very quickly we become liars? 
It works, works the same way with gossip. Tell a big juicy gossip to someone, you get your adrenaline fix. Oh, it was so thrilling. It was so thrilling, I want to do it again and again and again. And pretty soon you're the town gossip. Or maybe it's pornography. Oh, it's just one click. It's not going to hurt. I'm just going to go there. I'm going to get a quick, quick click, a quick look. And then my brain is flooded with dopamine. And what happens real, very quickly is pornography starts destroying all your relationships because your primary relationship is a fake relationship with people that aren't really even real. And yet that's where you go to because that's where your dopamine fix comes from. But maybe that's not you. Maybe yours is, is rage and anger. Why do you get so angry all the time? Why do you rage all the time? Because you're addicted to cortisol, another brain chemical. It didn't start out that way, but something happened to you maybe as long ago, and, and you hated that, whatever it was that happened to you. But what happened is that event rewired your, your brain to now you crave cortisol. And so now you, you fly into a rage so you can get your fix. You yell and you scream and people are terrified and your heart is pumping and your, little, your brain is releasing cortisol. And so you, now you're an addict. And so the only way you can get your fix is to become a rageaholic. And we can say the same thing about alcohol or drugs or insert whatever sin you struggle with. Max Locato said this. He said, quote, your way may be intoxication. My way may be accumulation. Another's person may be sensual stimulation or religious self-promotion, but every person has tried to go his or her own way without God. My pastor used to say this back in the day. He would say, sin will take you further than you wanted to go. Sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. But here's something else I will say. Sin affects others with the same attitude you have. Ever notice you wake up in the morning and you snap at somebody and they, they snap back and pretty soon the whole house is just living in turmoil? And maybe you choose to do something kind of shady in your business and, and then the others are doing the same thing? You see, sin spreads like an infection. Sin is like a single spore of mold on a, on a loaf of bread. Pretty soon, it doesn't take long, that whole bread is green and fuzzy. What do you do? Well, the moment you see it, you've got to rip it off and throw it away to save the rest of the loaf. Can we see how sin spreads? Part of slavery to sin is that when you yield yourself to it. You do it two times, you do it three times, and pretty soon, you, you don't even realize what's going on, but it's getting out of control, it's going beyond what you wanted, and then and next, it's like it's impossible to change because it's part of who you are, because now it's become a habit. And a habit resists change at every single turn. I've heard somebody say, hey, smoke, quitting smoking's easy. I've done it dozens of times. That's what sin is. It's something we quit over and over and over again. Paul's, what Paul is saying is right. We become slaves to that which we obey. If you obey sin, you become a slave to sin. But it doesn't stop there. Look what happens next. Read verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the times from the things at which you are now ashamed? Point number three. 
Sin will make you ashamed. Every single one of us. We can look back at our life and there was a point in time we did something and now we're ashamed of it. Because sin has stained our minds and that there's that event we think about it and the results are, are shame. Shame is the awareness of something we did to others and this, the painful experience when we relive that, that event. And we've all experienced shame. Sin, no matter what it is or how small it is, will always lead to shame. Memories of the past is something that has blotted the sense of shameful experience. We all know what that's like. You did something, you regret it, and maybe it's harmful words you said to somebody when you shouldn't have said that. There's a strained relationship now that goes on for years, and whenever you meet that person, this is te- I feel terrible about what we've done. See, that's the inevitable fruit of sin. So this is something Paul mentions to the church in Galatia. Read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes, do not be deceived. Or I'll say it this way, don't kid yourself. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap. For the one who sows of his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That's exactly what Paul is trying to get across in Romans chapter 6. He's saying, if you live for sin, you will sow sin. If you attempt to grow sin, you will be successful every single time. We are tremendous sin farmers. There's always going to be a bumper crop if we try to grow sin, because it's easy to grow weeds. It's easy to grow sin. You will grow it if you try. But the same is true if you try to grow godliness. If you live for Jesus, you're going to be successful at that too. But here's the difference. One's easier than the other. Why? Because we're born sinful. We, we are born sinful. So if you don't want to be ashamed of your lifestyle, then for a believer, it's a simple choice. But please recognize this. It's impossible to be neutral. Okay? You can't ride the fence on this. You can't be Switzerland. Every person has a master, either God or sin. But for a Christian, living for God is a choice. It's a choice we make every single moment of the day. The question is, do you tr- choose to live in shame or do you choose to live for Jesus? Because Jesus did everything imaginable and then some, so you don't have to live in shame Jesus went to the cross. He died. He paid for your sins. Buried on the third day. Or buried, rose on the third day. So you don't have to live in shame anymore. Indwelled you with the Holy Spirit. God himself. Third person of the Trinity. You don't have to live in shame any longer. Keep reading. Look in verse, the middle of verse 21. Paul says, For the end of those things is death. But now... That you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's my fourth point for us this morning. Point number four, sin leads to death. So to live in sin, shame is not the end goal. Sin is not satisfied with just mere shame. No, there's more to come. 
So often people live in shame, excuse me, but please recognize sin's not going to stop with just simply you being shameful. No, sin wants death. I'm not necessarily talking about physical death. We're talking about a separation for the believer, from the believer and God. Okay? Death of a healthy, God-glorifying relationship. That's what Paul is talking about here. Sin's goal in your life is spiritual death. Back when we were in California years ago, there was a couple, a husband and wife, and they had their family pet. It was a chimpanzee. And they kept it in their backyard. They had this huge enclosure. It was their beloved family pet. One day it was the chimp's birthday, and so they had this big party, and there was hats, and they, they had a cake come out. They, they're singing happy birthday to the chimp, and the chip flipped, attacked the wife, brutally killed her. And then the husband was, was maimed beyond, beyond recognition. Eventually the chimp was put down. But here's the deal. That's what wild animals do. Should we expect a wild animal to do anything other than exactly what wild animals are supposed to do? And I'm telling this, this story because the same is true with sin. It's not your pet. Sin's goal is to kill your relationship with God. And if you treat sin like your pet, don't be surprised that one day you're nearly unrecognizable or not even worse. Sin desires death. Paul says here, the choice is life and death. You choose life or you choose death when you choose sin or you choose God. The death that Paul is talking about, again, it's not necessarily a funeral that comes into your life, though it can be. There is sin that leads to that. But he's talking about the here and the now, the while we live on this earth, the experience, the Christian life right now while we're alive. Because death is both physical and moral, meaning they're a picture of each other. Death always involves darkness. It involves ultimate corruption. Because when someone dies, they begin to stink. That's what happens when we choose sin as a believer. When we choose sin, nothing but death's going to come. And again, what I'm talking about here is our, the death of our relationship with God, death of communion with God, death of an understanding of what God said in his word, because we are incapable of reading God's word and really internalize it when we're choosing sin over him. There's a death of our, of our purpose in life, death of anything good in our life. As a pastor, I've had to do counseling, I don't know how many times. I remember back in California, I'm, having, I'm doing counseling with a couple, and their, their marriage is on the rocks, and I'm, and I'm opening God's word, and in plain black and white, you can, this is them. I mean, every aspect, and they can't see it. And, and some of us think, are they blind? Oh, it's, yeah, they are, to the truths of God's word. They're dead to the fact that their sin brings death, so they can't see the truths of God's word. They can't hear the Spirit of God because they're choosing sin over the Spirit. Not only does darkness set in when we sin, but there's limitations too. Do you remember an account in the Old Testament uh, where, where Moses told the people, hey, you stay here, I'm going to go up and I'm gonna talk to God. And he goes up and, and man, it's just, just the glory of God and it's awesome. And he comes back down and the people of God are, they're acting a fool. Moses gets mad, and he, he's told to speak to the rock, but he doesn't speak to the rock. Instead, he hits the rock, and so we, oh, just a momentary blow-up, right? He just lost his temper, right? But then God said, because you did not believe in me 
to uphold me as a holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring the assembly into the land that I've given them. Now, I am not suggesting that if we choose to sin, that we are forever limited in our opportunities that God gives us. But just know, as long as we hold on to the things that we know are wrong, justifying them in our minds, and refusing to enter the freedom that God gives us, there is a loss of opportunity. That's why some Christians never enjoy the, 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 the thrill of serving God. That's why so many Christians never experience what it's like to share the gospel with an individual and see them come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so when they choose to sin, they just sit with folded arms and sit back and watch other Christians living their life, Christian life to the fullest. Often because they just choose sin over than living for, for Jesus. That's what happens when an individual chooses sin. But what about a church? When a church chooses sin, it leads to the death of a church. A church that used to be leading people to Christ, seeing lots of baptisms, hearing the sounds of children in their church, learning about Jesus, that can be shut off like a faucet. It's the death of a church. Death meaning lessening of our experience and not experience the freedoms and the delights of the things we, we have in Christ, and it leads to spiritual dryness. What happens is our life just becomes utter nauseating to us. You ever felt that way? Don't answer that question. Sometimes the whole Christian experience just stinks to high heaven. It's a sign of death that never should come. But look at what Paul says in verse 22. He says, but now that you've been set free. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's this change that occurs. You've been freed. You're no longer a slave to evil. You have become a slave to righteousness. Now you've been set free from sin, you become slaves to God, and all of this business of being limited and experiencing death and shame, it's totally unnecessary for a believer. But that's the tragedy of sin when we choose to sin. We don't have to experience this death in our lives. We don't have to choose it. There is a better way of living our life as believers. Last winter, I took our family to Meadowlark Lake, uh, up, we went skiing at the ski lodge. And uh, my kids, especially Kamari, he's up there, he's looking at me. He loves to go fast, but there's a problem with, with, his, with his skiing. He doesn't like to stop real well. And so he goes fast, and he's, he's invented this, this new way of doing things. Just lay out. Just lay out and crash. And I've tried to talk, buddy, there, there's a better way of doing it. If you turn, you can stop. No, nope, don't, don't listen to dad. And so he just goes fast, lays out, and he crashes. Sometimes into that orange net. Sometimes into hard packed snow. Sometimes into other people. I'm saying that because that's what we do as believers. We like to go fast, and then we just crash. And then we're back up, and we do it again and again and again. Crashing over and over. Sometimes we crash into people that love us. We injure them in the process. Don't do that. Repent. Turn. There's a better way of living your life than living in sin. Let me paraphrase the question I believe the Apostle Paul is asking here. He's asking, what good is it to be set free from sin by Jesus and what he did and have every opportunity, every possibility of walking in holiness if in a moment we ignore that and we just 
go on and live like we are slaves to sin. What good is it to be forgiven, have a relationship with the creator of the universe, and then choose to sin, which alienates us from the wonderful relationship? He's asking, what good is life if we're not living for Jesus? I mean, we're going to heaven should we die, but, but life here and now, it's so empty. What I'm about to mention here is, I think something that I think most of us will, will agree with, that there's some beautiful churches in this world. Beautiful churches in our town, beautiful churches that used to be telling people about Jesus and leading people to Jesus and and people, I mean, churches were full of of people hearing the gospel, people being strengthened, families getting together, mom and dad and kids hearing about Jesus and serving Jesus. And if you go to those same churches today, they're dead. There's a movement that's been going on for decades now in England where they're taking some of the most beautiful churches in history and turn them into bars. Churches that used to be lifting the name of Jesus are now lifting Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, and Johnny Walker. Churches that used to be about the Spirit of God, now they're just about the spirits. Why? Because they're choosing sin over Jesus. Some would say, oh no, pastor, it's because of this, that, and the other reason. Whatever. This happens when a church turns inwards. Now, I believe that Romans chapter 6 is primarily speaking to the individual, but let's apply it to us corporately. We choose to make this church about our preferences, our wants, our desires. We're telling the people, the lost sinners on the outside, you're not welcome here. We can say whatever we want with our lips, but our actions speak louder than our words. Every decision we make, what will bring the lost to the feet of a glorious Savior that died on the Calvary for, for sinners? What will it take to make somebody who doesn't know Jesus and bring them to the glorious salvation that can only be known through him? Let's do that. Back to us personally. The challenge of Romans 6 is this. Christ made you free. Free to have a sense of worth. Free to worship God. Free to know God. Free to have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. He has set you free to be a whole person, not torn in a number of dozen different directions. You're free to to live a life that glorifies God. Free from the the control and shame that sin brings. You're free to have the greatest calling this world will ever have, and that is the call to bring glory to God. Read Romans 6, 23 one more time. Paul says, for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus described eternal life like this in John 17, verse 3. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent why would we give away the greatest thing in this, in that this life has to offer an intimate knowledge of the creator God and, and living a life for him for some momentary indulgence that only locks us into slavery and sin and shame and death. Instead, choose Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, he is the very meaning of life. You were created by him and for him, that God made you Jesus, and he died for you so that ultimately you could live your life for him. If you're not a believer, I want you to know that you can be saved 
by him. The Bible says that we're all sinners and our sin separates us from God. And there is a debt that we all have to pay for the willful sin we choose. That's why Jesus left heaven, robed himself in humanity and came and lived the life of perfection and died a sinner's death. Buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. And the Bible says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So that's my plead for you today, that if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, cry out to him. Cry out to him. Hey, dear Jesus, I am a sinner, but yet you love me. You died for me. I give you my life. Save me from my sins. And I say this in the perfect, precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.